0: Alright, so as Americans, uh, we love freedom. Freedom is a huge thing to us. It's been that way really since the inception of our country. Our founding fathers were obsessed with the idea of freedom. It consumed them. They started a war so that they could be what they felt was truly free. Free from a tyrant in England. Let me give you a couple of quotes just to prove my point. One was John Adams, and he said uh, that children should be educated in the principles of freedom. He was so convinced that freedom was one of the most important things, that all children should be educated in its principles. Now, John Adams, of course, is a Bostonian, and that is really carried through, I think, uh, to our present time. Bostonians are proud of their freedom. Uh, and if you go just up the road, we have New Hampshire, the live free or die state. All right? So it is a huge thing. And of course, there was Patrick Henry as well, uh, who was actually a Virginian, not a New Englander. But he is famous for his quote Give me liberty or give me death. Okay, freedom is a huge part of being an American. We take pride in that freedom. Many country songs have been written about freedom as well. I know I'm way out of context here, so my, uh, my apologies. But, uh, and actually I'm going to have a lot of, I'm going to have several old quotes today. And uh, so my apologies, my students always get on me. Uh, Because I'm always quoting songs that are, uh, you know, from before when they were born. And some of the songs I'm quoting today will be from before I was born. But the first one, at least, was not. Uh, That was God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. Came out in 1985 originally. Uh, He re-released it after the September 11th uh, attacks and the subsequent invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq. But listen to a couple of lines from his song. One was, the flag still stands for freedom, and they can't take that away. And then, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. It's something we take great pride in. I always, when I hear that song, I picture... Uh, the 4th of July parade going down the street. I picture little kids with their American flags in one hand and a sparkler in the other hand, and everyone is glad to be free. And I even picture, uh, Joey and Andy might kill me for telling this story, but I picture Joey and Andy and I in Joey's backyard. We are playing horseshoes one day, just talking foolishness, having a lot of fun, and we break out in the most beautiful rendition of God Bless America That you have ever heard. It was beautiful. We love our freedom. We are proud to be from a country that is free. And here comes my second old song quote. And this one is from the Eagles and their song, Desperado. Freedom, ah, freedom. That's just some people talking. Because even as Americans, we aren't truly free. We aren't born truly free. We are enslaved to a master that we can't see, we can't touch, we can't hear, but we are no less compelled to obey that master. It was no different 2,000 years ago for the Jews, and that they too were enslaved to the same master even though they didn't want to recognize that. And so that's where we pick up John 8.31-33. through 33. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say you will become free? So there were some Jews, uh, and this has been the case as Jesus has been teaching this whole time, while many of the Jews have completely rejected Him, there have always been some Jews who have heard Jesus' teachings and believed Him. And so He turns to these Jews who have believed Him up to this point, and He says to them, says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That should have been really good news to them. If I was in any way not free, I would want to hear these words that I can live by that are going to set me free. They should be happy to hear that. They should be saying, what are these words? Tell them to us so that we can live by them. So that we can share them with people we know. So that they can be free too. But that wasn't their reaction at all. Instead, they are insulted that Jesus has just told them that they aren't, in fact, free. They've taken this as a great insult to their national heritage. Because they look to their founding father, Abraham, and that's who they point to. They say, we are the offspring of Of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. The Jews are guilty of nationalism here. Not just just being proud of where they are from, but they have taken that and they have made that the most important thing. So many times when Jesus has pointed something out to the Jews or even made a claim about himself. The Jews haven't pointed to God. They have pointed to who their forefathers were. They have pointed here to Abraham. They've pointed to Moses in the past. And they have elevated that above their own faith in God. They have elevated who they are physically, biologically, what their lineage is above a true faith in God. I don't think that is a huge surprise to anyone because so many people do that themselves. Boston is filled with two of the most uh, proud people groups I've ever met, Irish and Italians. Hey, if you, there's many neighborhoods, if you drive down a uh, street, you are as likely to see an Irish flag or an Italian flag as you are an American flag. If you had gone to my own dorm room in college, I had three things on my wall. Yeah, I was a bit of a minimalist. I wasn't one of those crazy guys with stuff everywhere. There were three things I had on the wall. One was a poster of my favorite hockey team. One was a poster of my favorite hockey player. And the third was a flag of Ireland. Because I was proud of my Irish heritage. I was proud that my ancestors had lived there and had come over to America. I was proud of that. So many people take that uh, the pride in their heritage and they elevate it to the point where they are more proud of being Irish or Italian than they are being American. But it's not the Irish armies that are keeping them free. It's not the Italian armies that keep them free. It's the American armies that do that. And so if they were to give credit to the Irish armies or to the Italian armies for doing that, it would be a great insult to our troops. And it would be an insult to our country for them to do that. The Jews have done something like that, but to a much higher degree. To a much higher degree. Because instead of looking at God and, and resting in the promises that God has made, They are resting in the fact that they are the descendants of Abraham and really missing the point of God's promises to Abraham. Okay, so they're not completely off the wall. I don't want you to think that they're just coming out of left field with this pride of being Abraham's descendants. So if you go back into Genesis and look... Um, And what I'm about to go through in like three or four minutes here, we could do a whole sermon series on. So forgive me, I'm going to condense some stuff and and try and go through this pretty quickly. Uh, But there was a man named Abram first. And Abram uh, was a man who worshipped God. He loved God. And so God comes and God makes a covenant with this man Abram. And he promises that he is going to greatly reward him. But Abram's getting along in years, and Abram has no child of his own. And so, Abram is a little bit skeptical about what God is going to do and how God is going to bless him, because anything God blesses him with when Abram is gone is going to go to actually a relative of his wife. And so, God promises Abram that he will have his own heir, an heir of his own flesh. To inherit what God is going to give him. So now again, Abram's advanced in years. And his wife, Sarai, is also advanced in years. And they start to get a little impatient about things. And Sarai uh, has this female slave, a female servant named Hagar. And she gives Hagar to her husband, Abram, so that they can conceive and have a child. And that wasn't uncommon back then, that was actually a fairly common practice. So it wasn't something just totally crazy, or at least it wouldn't have seemed crazy at the time to do that. And sure enough, Abram and Hagar conceive, and they have a son named Ishmael. And God, at this point, He's made that covenant with Abram to bless him. And God comes back and visits Abram again. And when He comes back and visits Abram this time, He does something Uh, Kind of cool, actually. He gives Abram a new name. And Abram becomes Abraham. And God says this promise again that He is going to richly bless Abraham and He is going to make him a father of many nations. And Abraham says, yeah, that's great. Do it through Ishmael. God says, no, not through Ishmael. We're not going to do it through him. We're not going to do it through the child of a slave. And God instead says it's going to be through your wife. And he changes her name too, from Sarai to Sarah. And he says, I'm going to make my covenant with him an everlasting covenant, and with his offspring an everlasting covenant. And then later on, uh, many years later, well, not from then, shortly after that time, uh, when Abram is 100 and his wife is 90, they they conceive. And they have a son, Isaac. And Isaac is that promised child. And many years after that, God calls Abram to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac to himself. And so they go to do that. Abraham is willing, he has such faith in God that he is willing to sacrifice his son, Isaac. To God, And at the last minute he is stopped and God provides a sacrificial ram that Isaac and Abraham can then sacrifice instead of having to ha- sacrifice Isaac. And this has been a beautiful picture of what God Himself is going to do. Sending His own Son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice. After this though, God makes an amazing promise. He says, Through your offspring, I'm going to bless all the nations. So God is going to bless all the nations through the offspring of Abraham, through Isaac. And so these are the covenants, these are the promises that the Jews are kind of hanging their collective hat on. Hey, God made an everlasting covenant with Isaac and his offspring. And we are that offspring, so we're good, we're all set. Because we are that, we're good. Okay, the problem is they are missing the point. Because the true fulfillment of all of those promises is actually in Jesus. And that is uh, explained actually very clearly if you uh, have some time later on. I recommend uh, reading it in Galatians chapter 3. Paul spells it out very clearly that the promise that God made then and to the offspring, the offspring that was going to bless all the nations, was not actually fully Isaac; it was actually Jesus. That that is pointing to Jesus, and so here are the Jews with the true fulfillment of that covenant standing right in front of them. And instead, they're rejecting him. They are insulted. By him. And they say, We have never been enslaved to anyone. They are angry with Jesus at this point. All right, so Jesus quickly corrects them in verse 34. Jesus answered them Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let that hit you for a moment. As it hopefully hit the Jews when he said it. That everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The Jews, I'm sure that takes them back because they just said, hey, we are free, we are free, we are free. And if they are honest with themselves, they're going to say, hey, we are sinners. And we are enslaved to sin. And I think it's easy for us to point that out in certain people. We can look at the murderer on TV and say, yeah, that person is clearly a slave to sin. We could look at at the drug dealer or the drug addict, and say those people are clearly enslaved to sin. But then there's people where it's harder for us to realize that, often because they look a lot more like we do. It's a little harder to, to say the guy who is very successful, has built a good career, has given a lot to charity. It, it's harder to say that that guy is a slave. Sin. If you were to look at his life though, maybe he's trampled people on the way to the top. He has made his job and his success his God. Whether we realize it or he realizes it or not, he is also a slave to sin. But what about your friends who like to go out and party and drink? And They drink every weekend. They're getting drunk. They're sleeping around. But they're our friends. They're nice people. Do we view them as slaves to sin too? Do we view our neighbor who's actually a really good man? He has a good job, a lovely wife, beautiful kids. He provides for them. He's a good husband. He's never cheated on his wife. But that man doesn't know Jesus. And he doesn't know the Gospel. And he doesn't share it with His children. Do we look at them and say, they too are slaves to sin. And it's important that we do not so that we're judging them, but so that we realize that there are people all around us, no matter how nice they seem, that if they don't know Jesus, they need to hear the Gospel. Because they are still enslaved to sin. And Jesus says, A slave does not remain in the house. So a slave might be in a house for a while because he's got some task to do. Something to carry out and something to get done. But when his job is done there, he has to leave. When he's tired, he doesn't get to lay down in a bed in the house. And when he's hungry, he doesn't get to eat the food out of the house. He's got to go out to his quarters and eat his food. And he has no rights in that house. But a son is a different story. A son has all the rights in the house. When the son is tired, he can go to his room and lie down on his own bed and go to sleep. And when he is hungry, that son can go to the food that's in the house and freely eat of it. And when it comes to decisions about the household, the son can make those too because he has the authority By being the Son. So Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Because He is not talking about just any Son. This isn't some proverbial Son He's now talking about. He's now talking about Himself. He's saying, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. See, a slave cannot look at another slave and say, oh, you're free. And then have that slave be free. It's over. that, or Excuse me, that doesn't work. That second slave is still in bondage, in slavery. Because the first slave has no authority to free him. Only the Son could do that. And only the Son of God, Jesus, can set anybody free from slavery to sin keep reading verse 37 i know that you are the offspring of abraham yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you i speak of what i have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father so jesus knows their biology He knows if you draw their family tree out, that it's all going to point back to Abraham. He knows that. But His Word has not found any place in their heart. And so that fact, the fact that His Word has not found a place in their heart, trumps the fact that they are Abraham's physical offspring. Okay, because it is not just who, what family you are born to. It is going to be faith in Jesus that will set you free. And he finally drops the big bomb on him that he keeps dropping over and over and over. And you would think that they would get the point. You would hope that they would get the point. And that's that Jesus is not just a man. And he is not just doing his own thing when he is telling them this stuff. He's not out there after His own agenda. He is speaking what He has heard the Father speak. He is doing what He knows is the will of God the Father. But the Jews, He says, are doing what they have seen from their Father. That is huge, because now Jesus has just told them, I am God's Son, And if they have a different father, then they are clearly not God's children. That's big. That's huge. That is going to strike at their hearts. That will raise some angry responses that uh, I I don't have time to get to this week because it's uh, in another passage. But Joey will be preaching on that. In rejecting Jesus they have rejected God the Father. In rejecting Jesus' words and teachings, they have also rejected God the Father's words and teachings. In rejecting the freedom that Jesus is offering them, they are rejecting the only way that God has made for any man to be free from sin. So let me tell you this, Restoration Road. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, then you are free from sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. Because Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was the Son of God. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was the Son of God. That is the most important thing you will ever come to realize in your life. is That Jesus is the Son of God. And if anyone rejects that, then they are still a slave to sin. No matter what their outward life looks like, they are still a slave to sin. If they have rejected Jesus Christ. If they have rejected the Son, do they really think the Father is going to accept them? you can't ridicule and persecute and despise God's Son and then expect to have Him just warmly welcome you. But so many people make that mistake. They they believe in God, but they don't believe in Jesus. Those two things are not compatible. To believe in one is to believe in the other. I think any parent would actually understand this very well. You couldn't come up to me and say, Dave, I really like you. You're a nice guy. You know, we have some good times together. I value your friendship. But I can't stand your daughters. Are you kidding me? You better turn around and start going the other way in a hurry. Because we're done. I'm not real happy with you at that point. Right? It is infinitely more, because I am a sinful human and my daughters are sinful humans and they are going to upset some people in their lives. Okay? But it is infinitely worse to do that with God the Father and God the Son. If a person rejects God's Son, then they should expect God to reject them in return. My uh, father and my brother and my mom and I, we all went on vacation once to Wyoming to see my cousins up there. And my uh, older cousin was two years older than me. He's six years older than my younger brother. And he starts just, for whatever reason this weekend, he decides this is going to be the weekend he picks on my younger brother. Don't know why. I don't know what his problem was. But he's picking on my younger brother this whole weekend. So it's Sunday afternoon, we're like an hour from leaving, we're all standing in the front yard of my uncle's house, and my cousin, who again is like 13 or 14, my brother's like eight, big size difference here, my cousin is still just picking on my brother, and out of the corner of my eye I see this flash, and it's my dad, and my dad takes my cousin out, just tackles him full bore, and he says, how do you like someone twice your size picking on you? My dad had had enough of someone picking on his son. And it didn't matter who this kid was, whether he was a relative or not, my dad had had enough of someone picking on his son. All right? To a much higher degree, again, anyone who is rejecting Jesus and persecuting him or his followers and despising him is not just doing it to him but is doing it to the Father. Remember, it is only in Jesus, it is only in God's Son that someone can be free. Because our first father, Adam, sinned. And his wife, Eve, sinned. And the only two people who were ever not born under slavery to sin enslaved themselves to sin. And the child of a slave is a slave. The child of a slave is not born free. They too were born into slavery. And so we desperately need the Son to set us free. How did the Son do that? Number one, the payment was made on the cross for our sins. So Jesus died on the cross to free us from that slavery to sin. But then he proclaimed that through his words, and his followers proclaimed that not through their words, but also through Jesus' words. And so that gets us all the way back to the beginning now, where we were to start with. When Jesus looks at them and says, truly, truly, or excuse me, <laughs> on the wrong thing there, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in Jesus' word, you are truly his disciple. Okay? That word abide, Joffrey hit on this beautifully to the little kids. It means to live. Jesus' followers are going to live in his word. They are going to live by his word. That is how they're going to come to know the truth. That's how they are going to be set free, is in his word. When I first became a Christian, there was an on campus Christian group called the Navigators. And the navigators have, and I'm smiling because Luke knows exactly where I'm going with this probably, the navigators are huge in memorizing God's Word because they realize its importance to the believer's life. And so they have what's called the topical memory system. And the topical memory system is a bunch of flashcards. And on those flashcards are Bible verses. And you just, we'd sit there every week, you'd get, you'd, take two flashcards out and you'd start going through them and you'd memorize them and then you know so the next week you'd have two new verses to memorize and the next week after that two new more verses to memorize and you'd keep going and keep going and i can't tell you what a powerful tool that was in my early walk with christ that topical memory system because it helped me to know his words it helped me to live in his words Because when we first come to faith in Jesus, I think we all know this, there's certainly some sins that we just completely walk away from. And don't uh, mishear me, because when you come to faith in Jesus, all of your sins are forgiven, they're all paid for, but we're not suddenly perfect. There are still sins that we struggle with. And so it helped me so much, knowing those words, setting my life by those words, And through that, God worked out so many sins that I had struggled with for so long. So, if that's you, if you are struggling with a sin, I don't want you to be condemned about it. Because, first of all, you are free from slavery to sin if your faith is in Jesus. And secondly, Even though we are forgiven, again, we're not suddenly perfect. John, the writer of this Gospel, understood that. If you look in his first epistle, in 1 John, he lays out this beautiful progression of what the Christian life looks like. And he addresses who he's writing to. And he says, I'm writing to you, children, because your sins have been forgiven. And he says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And he ends with, I am writing to you fathers, because you know Him who has been from the beginning. So there is this progression. There is a maturity as you go along to the Christian walk, where you are first free from your sins. You are forgiven. All of them are forgiven. But then there is this maturity that goes along, where you Overcome the evil one. And where you more deeply know the Father. And that comes through knowing His Word. That comes through living by His Word. So if we are free from sin, I think that begs the question. Free to do what? What are we going to do with this freedom that we have in Jesus? We are free from sin through faith in him, what are we gonna do? If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Romans 6 with me. We're gonna start in Romans 6:16. 6, this is the Apostle Paul. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves? from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me encourage you If your faith is in Jesus, if you have been set free from sin, you weren't set free from sin so that you could run back to it. You were set free from sin so that you could freely serve God. So that you could enjoy the life that He has for you. So that you could bring glory to Him. Here's my last old song quote. Bob Dylan. The song is, got to serve somebody. And he said in it, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So he was close to the mark. Not quite there. But you are. You are either going to be serving sin, which only leads to death. But if you have been freed from sin by God, then you are free to serve Him. And the reward of that is eternal life.